ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Spirit and Steinberg Podcast. Right here with Spears. How y'all feel out there? Ben Butler here. Good evening. Bartholomew Carrington III. Ten dollars a lot of money. Yeah. What time is it? Game time. Bug Space. Kick it. Jazz co-host uh, Vanilla Bean. <laughs> right now, we're going to be discussing the cool styles, the cool comedic styles of one of the great jazz comedians, uh, Rothschild Gerard Carmichael. Uh, usually, we play our number one jazz artist, Dave Chappelle, but uh, move over, Miles Davis. Here comes John Coltrane. <laughs> hey uh, guys, before we dive into this. Uh, little bit of context here. Um, when you're hearing this, we'll obviously be somewhere else. Um, but we're still in Baltimore. Uh, and, you know, we only really really needed to record two episodes. Um, last Wednesday's regular email, uh, uh, podcast and then the Thursday email, which we did with Kyla on Saturday uh, and the email on Saturday. But we decided on Sunday to do an extra one uh, that you're now hearing this Wednesday about the Gerard Carmichael HBO special because we were so excited about it. We didn't want to wait to talk about it. Um, so we're putting one in the bank uh, so we'll be ahead. A uh, and plus, you know, sometimes you you want to get the, the, the you want to attack it while the steam is still coming off the doo-doo. Uh, so that's what we're going to do. But before we get into that, there's something I want to mention really quick. Um, I want Because I, I really want to speak to my people. This, this could apply to all people, but I really want to speak to my people. We're here in Baltimore. Um, and look, like most major cities that have black people in them, there's, there's hood everywhere. There's ghetto everywhere. But Baltimore is a rough city, man. Baltimore is, is, is very hood. Because uh, we're staying here in downtown Baltimore. And I kid you not, every 15 minutes you hear sirens. You know, police sirens, ambulance sirens. So th this, this is a rough city. But I love Baltimore. I love the people. I love, of course, I love the crabs. Uh, your Merlin crabs. Uh, Baltimore's a nice city, man. I got a lot of love for the city. And the city has a lot of love for me. Uh, but I want to talk about something that I may have brushed on before. Ignorant niggas. Um, we was at the show last night and 95% of the shows have been fantastic as they usually are here in Baltimore. But there's this one nigga and Andy, towards the end of Andy's set, he's, you know, he's talking about, man, that gay shit because Andy talked about he does the joke with his son being jerked off and the dude is just loud and obnoxious and I'm, I'm literally about to be brought on stage by Andy and I'm backstage and I'm looking at the heavens and I'm just going, oh boy. 
And it's one of those things where you know. And this is why I say, again, for young comics who think they the shit because they stay local, you don't get better until you work this road because you got to experience shit from different sides of the country, different atmosphere, different rhythm. You know, you got it. That's how you really get good. But of course, this nigga exists everywhere. This nigga is the same nigga from Cleveland. That's my mama. You don't want none of this. This same nigga. Uh, but, you know, I, so I go, I can't just go out there and get into my material. I can't because I got at least three jokes where whether it's the prostate, whether it's the one I do about the stress and blowing the airplane pilot to save yourself from getting in crashing or whether it's the play on words and your man telling his boy, suck my dick. I already know this nigga's going to be a problem. So I come out immediately and jump on this nigga. And at one point, he kept he kept standing up and he was beating his chest and flexing his pec and flexing his bicep and going, I'm a real nigga. And I said, hey, homie, everybody in here is a real nigga. Ain't no fake niggas in here. Only difference is you're an ignorant nigga. And of course, the crowd, ah, well, I'm going to go, talk my shit. I said, hey, man, talk your shit. I'll give a fuck if you talk your shit. That's all you better do, because don't get it twisted. You ain't Will Smith, and I damn sure ain't Chris Rock. So I hit him with a couple of things, and the audience was going crazy. And eventually, they had to get this nigga up out of here, because he just wasn't going to stop. Um, and I even made a crack about his girl, because she was just looking so serious and stern. I was like, nigga, you so crazy. Your girl is scared. And then she shook her head. No, I ain't. So they was both two ignorant peas in the same fucking pod. And, and eventually, they got up out of there. So I want to say something. Listen, black people, please, generational curses, because that was passed down to him from his parents, and he's going to pass that down to his kids. And it saddens me that because of poverty, because of, you know, growing up in a certain way in the hood, in the ghetto, you live in a box. And I guarantee you niggas like that don't know about stocks and bonds have no interest in uh, financial literacy. They don't know about mutual funds, 401k plans. They have no interest in it because they, that's, that's unfamiliar to them. They don't know about traveling the world and going to Abu Dhabi and going to Europe and going to Africa and going to Oslo, Norway, where, it, where when it's midnight, it's daylight outside. That's beautiful shit, man. That's beautiful shit. Life is too short to not discover it. Like, 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 there's a beautiful world out there. You know, I, I recently went to go look at some new houses because I'm, I'm trying to get a new house. And the houses I was looking at was like $5 million. And I mean, fucking gorgeous. The neighborhood, the, the, the architecture, the, the ceilings, high ceiling. And I'm just like, how could you just for your whole life go, I want to be stuck in this. I don't, I don't ever want to know what it's like to be in the Bahamas, to be somewhere with white sands and clear water and experience how beautiful life can be, how that can relieve you of such stress. And, and, and it just opens the door men, mental-wise to know that there's, a, there's more out there. There's something better. There's something sexy. You know, put some money away. Invest. Create generational wealth. Leave your kids better than what your parents left you. And when you do that kind of shit, because I went, real nigga, 
What real nigga pays his hard on money for a show? And then not even five minutes into the show, you get thrown out. So now your money's just wasted. Is that what real niggas do? That's the dumbest shit I've ever heard of. And it just saddens me sometimes to see my people and go, these niggas will never know anything but this. You'll never know anything but what the neighborhood you live in, the the, the shit that was passed down to you. You're never going to be financially in the 50% tax bracket. This is it. It's like a sentence, like a prison sentence. You are sentenced to this till you die. Unless you luck up and hit the lotto, you will never know anything else because you a real nigga with your pants sagging and your whole ass out and your gold teeth and you stomping your chest. Really? What a boring existence. So I'm just saying, you know, and this is why, look, when I go, <clears throat> I don't like Chuckles in Memphis. That's because the, the majority of the audience is that nigga. Now, here in Baltimore, the audience, the majority of the audience is not that. But there is a small percentage of that, as there is in any city with niggas. But I like it. I like those numbers. I like that ratio. I like 95 5. 95 intelligent, 95 able to receive comedy, 95 of, of, of sophistication and maturity versus I'll take a little bit of ignorance. But I don't like when it's the other way around. That's why I won't do chuckles no more. So, you know, black people, please, generational curses, let's break them. There's more to life. Life is beautiful. Life is, 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 a, is a lot of world out there. Let's, be, let's, let's do better. Let's reach for better. Let's think better. Ugh, ghetto niggas make me sick, man. You want to talk about Gerard Carmichael? <laughs> I'm not talking about what you're talking about. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> So you don't have any opinion on what what the dude did or anything like that? Well, if we're going to get in, if you want me to comment on it. You had a lot to say to me when it happened? Yeah, well, I'll say it. But it wasn't wasn't about the individual. I I really walked away with a a different understanding uh, because that joke has nothing to do with gay. He was no, no, he was yelling no homo. And I actually, I actually, the room was laughing so loud. I didn't have to address it, but I, I had to under. I don't know why I had to understand what his no homo thing was and having the conversation with him and, and, exper- and experiencing the road with you over these last few years. Man, when I got off stage and, and then I heard you go on stage and I felt your energy, you know, I felt your dude. I, I felt your grief. Is that is that a good word? I, I felt, I, mean, I, I felt your yeah, disappointment. Right. I felt your grief. I felt like we and I was like, why? Why? You know. As as a as a white comic, perceived white comic, out on the road, I walk into that room, and yeah, I'm I'm already handicapped anyway. Like you know, half a certain percentage of that room goes, this dude ain't gonna be funny, and that's fine. It, it lowers the bar for me. That's fine too. Uh, and you know, you come out and you're you're funny. You do what you need to do. I had the room. Uh, I even won the battle with him because I stopped it because if I didn't, he wasn't gonna stop. But I mean, it it it, it was fine. But then when I heard you and the feeling, I'm going to tell you, and I, I'll, I'll share this because I shared it with you. I said, you know, I, I have always said to you, man, I don't know what it's like to be black. I don't know what it's like to be black. I, I don't understand. I'll never be able to live in that existence. But for a second, you know, I said to you, and I, I think uh, I think I finally got some of it because I said when I walked off, I go, you know, 
I do this. I said, I do this. I don't have to do this. And that's when I realized what being white was. I could walk away and I could go do white rooms and I could make it easy on myself and it could be a lot simpler. It could. But then I realized that's, that's what being, that's the difference between being black and white right there. I could go and move away. That's your room. Uh, not, not that you can't do other rooms, not that you're not, but that's an existence that I didn't understand. And you just communicated to you what you felt about that. That's, that's what being white is. I, I really realized that I could, if I wanted to tomorrow, I could say, you know, Aries, I appreciate it, but I, I can't do these rooms and just take those rooms off. We could go do all the other rooms or I could just go on my own. I, I experienced, I, I finally, I finally heard it after all this time and talking about what I understood. It's, I can go home anytime I want, <laughs> but that, that, that's the difference. And, and I, and I felt it for the first time because I heard your energy. And when you went on stage and, and you addressed it, I was like this, I heard it not as not only am I going to do this because comedy, the room, uh, but standing up for what you believe in, what you want to say, what you needed to say, I don't have to do that. I don't. But have you to- do understand that if you do it and you stick through it, it makes you better. No, I understand that part. And I, but I didn't come here just to be better. I came here because, first of all, I'll, I'll tell you this. So, so maybe some people would understand this. To me, I never thought of it any different to go on the road with you, black or white. That's it. and I knew that you know I was going to have. Uh, it was going to be. There was going to be difficulties. There was going to be. Uh, uh, I understood that in some places, black rooms, people talk about black rooms and how difficult black comics talk about, but my heroes in comedy are black. You know, it's like, if you're a great jazz player, who do you want to play with? The white jazz players, you know, that you, you, you know, you play with, you like, or the people you look up to. The people that are the best at it. At it. Because, but that's why you look up to them because they're the best at it. Right. So if if that's some of the, if, if that is some of the, uh, the training that you go through to get to that place, yeah, that's where I wanted to go train then. But you see what you just said. That's what you want. Like you also said, you don't have to do that. No. You want. Yeah. Okay. And and that in and of itself is it's is commendable because a lot of white comics, they don't want to do that because they know they don't have to do that. Yeah. But if you want to be, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think you could be great by doing whatever it is that you do. You can find your lane and be in that. But comedy to me... You know, my heroes who my I'm told you, I told someone what the hardest part of doing uh, this Baltimore room for me was last night. It isn't the people in the room. It's that Bernie Mac is on the bat. You're looking directly at Bernie right, Mac. Right. And I'm staring at one of the people that I look up to. Right, and I right. have to look at him whether my joke is going well or not. And I'm looking at him. And when my joke's going well, I'm like making Bernie Mac proud. When it's not going well, I'm disappointing Bernie yeah, Mac. Let's, let's do this analogy. That's like you playing ball. And you look in the rafters and you see the, the jerseys or you see the championship right. banners. Right. And you're going, fuck, I'm playing in the Boston Garden. 11 titles. You want to do well in the Boston Garden. Yeah. You want to do well in Madison Square Garden. So, yeah, to that point, yes, you're looking right at Bernie Mac and you're going, damn. Yeah. Um, but, but the, you know, it, it's it's a different lane. And I to- I chose this lane. And I... I but I also chose this lane, your right. lane. And this is when I comes back to realizing who we are as people and what, what this white thing and black thing is. That isn't, that wasn't all your choice. You could do white rooms if you chose to just do white right. rooms and not do those cities. But truly 
that wasn't your choice. This is this is the uniform you got. This is the one I got, and this is the difference. Mm. And it really was clear to me last night when I said that to my head. I don't have to do this. You know, I, 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 and this is me and Godfrey touched on this when I did his podcast. When I said to him, we talked about again that room I've mentioned, Confuego, in the Bronx, uh, Rob Stapleton's room, and I talked about how fucking rough that room is. And I just like I said to Godfrey, I'm like, dude, listen. We've been doing this so long, and, and when we started out, we started out like this. Black comics start out local. They start out in the ghetto rooms. They start out in the black rooms. So we know how to box, but we're at a point now where we've been doing this so long, and we've, we've done it where we've had a variety of rooms to choose from. Sometimes I feel like boxing. just want to go and do my shit and have a good time, and still do crowd work, and still rip the roof off the place, but I don't want to box. And some of these, some of these niggas like, I'm a real nigga. Take pride in going, I'm going to go to the comedy club, I'm going to be ignorant, I'm going to act a fool, I'm going to cause, I'm going to make this nigga have to box. And sometimes we just, I don't want to box, nigga. I just want to, I want to flow. And when I, when I heard that dude and I was backstage, I went, ah, oh, here the fuck we go. That which is why, again, I couldn't come out and go, let me ignore it and hope he calms down. Hope he behaves so I don't have to. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is the loudest nigga in the prison yard. You have to shank him. You have to set an example and jump on this nigga immediately. Because if you don't, you, you, he's going to fuck with you or he's going to fuck up your rhythm at some point. And now the show ain't going to be fun. So take him out immediately. Well, and as we, we talk, but the greatest rooms that I've done with you are those rooms that are mixed, heavily mixed. I mean, like, yes, those are the, and me and Godfrey said, those are the most fun because everybody has a little piece of that. Pie. Yes. And so when you're doing your jokes, everybody gets little pieces of it, gets it. And, and, and if there's some offense to something you said, the whole room, uh, some people are getting, some people aren't. And they're looking, they're learning from each other. I'd love that. That's I would never want to be the guy who did. And, I, and I'm not going to name any comics, but did an all white room with, you know, and, and you know, just to use the, the phrase Karen and just have to worry about not offending anyone. That is that's not fun. Right. That's not comedy either. Right. Comedy should uh, comedy should make you feel something. And for the record, I don't want people to listen to this and go, oh, is he saying he doesn't like all black rooms? That's not what I'm saying, because we went to Milwaukee for the first time this year, and that room was 90% black. Wonderful. DC Improv. The DC best Im room in the fucking country. It's, it's, it's mixed DC, but a lot of black people. And I mean, but th these are levels of, this is a different level of, when I go jokingly, these niggas read. These niggas are educated. These niggas are, they're the Cosbys. They're, they're, they're just as authentically black as the Evans family. But 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 it's 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 well to do. They got they got jet, they got fucking Ernie Barnes pieces hanging on their wall. Black, black culture, black art. You know what I'm saying? They, they, they play Dizzy Gillespie and, and Miles Davis and black jazz records. So they just as black as the Evans, the Huxtables. But it's a higher class of culture. Well, in any in any culture, no matter which one is, what, no matter what we're gonna, it's it's educated, man. Just having the room to think, 
And this is the perfect segue into what we're going to talk about. Because it is. It is the perfect segue because that's what this is about. Dave Chappelle and Gerard Carmichael. I'm telling you, I, I call them jazz comics. Uh, I think I think Dave is Miles Davis and I think Gerard is John Coltrane. Uh, sophisticated, intellectual, pacing, smoothness. Uh, they flow, man. They flow. And now Gerard to me, is just a little bit slower than Dave. Uh, but that's his style. But the level of intelligence that you have to have and confidence to be able to sit down and do comedy. Only other motherfuckers ever done this, Bill Cosby. I haven't seen anybody since Cosby sit down. I want to try it. But I know it's not for me only because I have to move a little bit. You know, uh, I always say the only way that I think I could sit down and do stand-up is if I'm going in with the mindset 100%, this is not about trying to kill. This is about discovering. This is about taking your time, listening to yourself speak, pausing to hear what the audience response is, playing off that, seeing if I could find, based off their reaction, what the next turn is. And I want to so badly do that because I know that there's discovery in that. And it's funny when Andy and I was kind of halfway discussing this on the way to the Baltimore club, I had said that to him and you said something interesting to me about describing me in that way. Uh, you remember about who, like who you were or who, who I am? Like why you go, I, when I, I said, I, you can never do it. Right. Because you know that you, you so wholeheartedly, you're not, you're against, you're not against that kind of comedy. You're against it in your soul. You want laugh. You you're out there to make people laugh, and I sitting in the silence for you. I don't think is part <sighs> of your DNA. That doesn't make any sense to you. I mean, at the core of your comedian, not that you don't want to do that. Like you right. said, you would love to to experience it, but at the core of your comedian, that laughter is what is is your ah. Uh, that's your that's what you believe in. Let me see if this makes sense. Okay, I'm going to put it in boxing terms. Gerard and Chappelle are like Ali. Ali wasn't a knockout artist. He wasn't a brutal, beat-you-up guy. He flowed. He was poetic. He was graceful. He could take you all the way to the 15th round. He had stamina. I'm talking about young Ali. Yeah. Stamina. And he was just beautiful to watch as a boxer. That, to me, is Gerard and Chappelle. I'm Tyson. I want to take you out in two rounds. I want it to be brutal, and I want it to be devastating. That's your core. Ah. So I, I love me some Ali, dude. I love me some Ali. But that, I, I want to I do some Ali shit some, from, like they do. You know, it's it's impressive when, you know, Ali is up against the ropes doing the rope-a-dope, you know, and he, and especially the first time he, he used that. Right. And they didn't, and, and they're just pounded on him. And then he comes out and you think oh, Ali's beaten and he just is fresh. He's still moving. Does the Ali, Ali shuffle? shuffle. Oh, and that's, right. that's, that's like the big punch where you sit in the silence and then you come out and you go, fooled you. Right. You know what I mean? Right. That's, right. that's yeah. the. Yeah. Yeah. But that, that's that. And, and to be honest, what I just said right now is more of a day. Fooled you. Right. That's not Gerard. Gerard's doing something even even a little bit more slow played. Right. Uh, so 
it, it, you know, I, I was wondering how you were going to perceive this and right. because of your particular, you know, your comedy DNA. I'm just going to call right. it that your comedy DNA. And I was pleasantly surprised when you when we started discussing it and how uh, receptive you were to this special. Yeah. You know, I, I listen, I, I, God, I thought the opening was so sexy. New York night, the snow. And it just immediately took me to where I'm from. And I just went, you know, I, I've always said, I've always fantasized about shooting a movie in New York because it's something sexy about the city. You know, it was one of the reasons why I love when Harry met Sally and they're walking in the park and the autumn leaves on the ground. And just the way it opened with the snow and you, you watch him walk out of the building, walk into this, I don't even know if it was a club, like a bar like lounge. like a jazz club. Like, like a lounge, yeah. yeah. Uh, kind of reminded me of the Blue Note in, in New York, the, 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 the great jazz club. Uh, but he walks in, he takes his coat off, then he just smoothly gets on stage, sit down, and the show begins. Uh, and even the way that it ended, I, I, I dug it. I thought it, again, jazz, I just thought it was, it was smooth. And, and, uh, as I'm watching it, I, you know, here's my thing. And, and I know you told me before I saw it that he comes out as gay. And I just, my only critique was, and I've seen his other two specials. This felt way different. Uh, whereas those was majority comedy. This felt like ratio-wise 70-30. 70% therapeutic, 30% comedy. And I was sitting here going, I know this is a big deal. I know he's coming out. And especially once he came out, I'm just going, I don't know, man. The, the, the moments where he was putting his hand in his, in his shirt and, you know, rubbing his neck and or he would bend all the way over to the point where it looked like he had his head in between his knees and he was throwing up. Just his body movements and the pauses and the thinking. I was like... Don't get me wrong, it, it, it's, it's funny, but it's starting to, is this therapy or is this comedy? But I said both. I said both. I think the best comedy, I think the best comedy has self-discovery, has moments of where you're putting it together yourself, where it doesn't feel like this is the set. I've been working on it. I mean, I thought there's brilliant parts in it. When he said, you well, know. Well, you just said something important. I'm working on it. When we look at a special we see what's been perfected. We see the hour. Yeah. This felt like he was working on it. Like it, it didn't feel like here's my set that I've, that I've worked on. I mean, it's complete. It's ready. I'm presenting this to you. It felt like we were in the moment of I'm discovering this as we go. I felt it was the idea of it was set, but he was still processing the emotions of what he's going through. And that was affecting the comedy that might have even been more, uh, finished but the emotions were allowing him to continue to redevelop you know I, I i just before we go a little deeper in this just to say this i feel comedy has been served in injustice uh by this social media age where people were trying to do an album every five minutes yeah and every even every year is ridiculous now, now there's some comics that pull it off and, and have pulled it off but if you if you listen to some of the comics that have been around forever. 
they, they could have a joke that they've ran for three years and they'll be on stage and they'll hit something and they'll hit it and they'll throw an extra tag or another mm. piece of beat on it. And it changes it and makes it even better. And to, I, I felt like this material that people were putting out one every year, there was great ideas in it. There wasn't, even though it was fleshed out, it was a set, there was laughs all the way through. The emotional part was missing. They didn't, the connection, the, the tissue to connect everything wasn't all in there because it wasn't developed. It was still, uh, it was funny. You were laughing at it, but was there more? And only as, and I think people that are in comedy might think that. I don't know if people were getting what they were served jokes and they were happy with it. I don't know if they would find it. But then to see Carmichael on stage and when he says that, that moment when he says, ah, this isn't all the way through or that I knew that he was, he was developing it not only as jokes, but emotionally developing it. That was going to the, the connection that we all have as we develop these emotional feelings. Um, and I think some of the reason why people have fought back against comedy is maybe that emotional connection or that emotional part wasn't in some of it where it seems callous and cruel instead of what the emotional part came through. But all the emotion comes through this. And I think for someone who was going to come out, and I'm just going to say, I mean, I, I don't know if I have right to say this or not to say this, but as a black man, I, from understanding the black community that I do, the little bit that I understand of it, I think that's more difficult, especially in an older age. To come out in front of everybody and go, no, I'm gay. And to handle it the way that he handled it through his set, that emotion had to be there. And it was fucking... F yeah, I mean, listen, I thought it was, it was brilliant when he talked about coming out as a black man with a white boyfriend. Yeah. And he described him as my vanilla king. But he said that it, the black women were, like, supportive, but also mad, like, oh, so you had to get a white boy? Yeah. So... And the way he goes through that. Right. And, and, and there, there was a brilliance in, in how to navigate that. You know, uh, you know when he talked about... Uh, fuck, I'm losing my thought here for a second. Uh, oh, fuck, that beginning part. Oh. Shit, I'm losing my thought in the beginning. He did something. Fuck, let me... I'll, I'll come back to it. Um, oh. In the beginning, when he talked about once he admitted that he was gay, he was like, do you know how many niggas is turning off their TVs right now? You know how many niggas with fitteds? Yeah, I see is, is, your, is, your, new, your, your New York fitteds. And he's going, oh, now this nigga got me watching the gay show. And that, again, speaks to what I've always said when I'm talking about the, I'm a real nigga. Like, there are some niggas who are so in their own shit that you can't even be intellectual enough to understand there's something to this joke if you get past your own homophobia, if you get past your own street shit. There's an art, there's a beauty in this. And the fact that he, he called that, he addressed that elephant that was going to be in the room immediately. That's fucking brilliant. Skillfully and art artistically. And that's the, that, that was the jokes. But the emotions that follow all that, that goes with it. Right. I, I'm telling, to me... And that's why I said Chappelle, like I am a like I I was I I was born into comedy. When I say that, I mean my my first initial comedy that I really got into uh was Richard Pryor. I wasn't supposed to be listening to it. It was Richard Pryor. And I never thought anybody was gonna be greater than Richard Pryor. And then Chappelle comes along and opens up this door for an experience in comedy, not necessarily just jokes but an experience in comedy to let your brain 
be able to attach to these ideas and then move them around. Right. I thought it was genius. And, and and Gerard Carmichael on this one, I thought he 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 I, I, I'm not compare. I'm not saying that they're the same kind of comic style at all. I'm saying it's it's a, it's a lane that I felt like Dave opened up the door for, and I think uh, Gerard Carmichael's comedy fits in this lane. I'm not saying that they're the same or close or whatever. I'm just saying this was this was an experience, and I really saw it, and I thought someone had masterfully taken this idea this idea of comedy and and twisted it for his for how he perceived comedy and i thought it was brilliant it was one of the most brilliant ways to communicate with people in a way that allowed people that when he when he brought up those the, the, the new york fitteds that allowed people who were that that type that 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 stereotype or that idea that i'm not going to get into this because of what it is the way he did it the experience had to lend them they had to lend their ear to listen to this right you know, and I, <laughs> when he when he said he was gay, you could hear the woman uh, yell out, uh, and I know you could tell it's a white woman. I love you, I love you, like really in support of him. And I thought to myself, he didn't do it. He just said, "Oh, thank you for the love." Uh, the comedian in me went, "Nigga, that would have been the perfect time for you to go." When she goes, "I love you, I love you." Yeah, I, I appreciate that, but uh, I'm hearing that from the wrong person. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but also with, and let me make sure, because I want to read this right so I get it right. Oh, yeah, okay, I, I did. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm glad he said it, because, yes, there are black women who definitely are in support of him, too. But, uh it just feels like sometimes with white women, you ha- y'all have to be a savior. Y'all have to rescue niggas. Yeah, yeah I, I get it. But and I'm not saying black. Obviously, yes, there are black women who support him, who are supporting him there. But just the most vocal bitch. I love you. It's okay. I love you. Had to be a white woman. Did you did you see it? There was a white woman. No, but you could tell it was a white woman. You know, I, I, I'm I going to be honest with you. The voice, I could tell. I, and, and it could be, very well could be. I wasn't experiencing that that woman. I was experiencing what he was saying. I was so focused on what he was saying at that moment. Right. And then watching his face and then saying, which I thought was amazing afterwards. Like, I don't want to, like, initially, right. I don't want to hear it, but I, I get it. And then going into, and then those little beats that he had in there about, mm-hmm. uh, I don't I, I I, I'm not going to tell him someone else's jokes, but those little beats that he had, those little jokes that he had after that about why he didn't want to ex- experience, but he needed it. Like he, he was accepting of it, but you know, he wants to fight it. And so to me that, that that's what I heard. I was, I was so in the moment of listening to what he, because this has to be, I mean, when you hear the story and then to come out to the world, this, to this is, this is, this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, this is a hard thing. It's hard to go do stand-up comedy. Let me go tell the world that everything that you thought about me is completely different than what you thought just a minute ago. That's, I, I was on his words. I wasn't worried about what that person said. I was really wanting to get right. into what he said. Right. So I didn't even notice it was a white woman, to be honest. Yeah, I could tell it was a white woman. And, and the way it carried out, I love you. <laughs> it's okay. Like, I didn't even white. hear the it's okay no, part. It's a white bitch, nigga. Um, uh, but then the applause and then the right. room went with him and I, and I was grateful that the room went with him because if you look back on it, 
if everybody just stand, sits there with their jaw open, okay, he just came out as gay. Now what do you do? Where where do you go right. from there? Right. You know, if you don't have that sense of relief, I don't know how you move on. Yeah, and and this is where I go again. Uh, it was interesting to see how he handled it because it felt real enough to where even he didn't have all the answers. No. Because he said, this is awkward. Yeah. And what he is- stood in that awkwardness going, he even said, I feel like I should make a joke here. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It felt like it was, I'm doing this as I go, as opposed to if this was polished and done, there would be no awkwardness. I would have a joke here. Right. But he. But how does he know how the room is responding? Right. And very cleverly, and I don't know how this worked out. Uh, it's not something that I'm going to say that I hope happens on stage more often. But when people were asking questions and he was. I didn't like that. I didn't either. But it it seemed to fit the flow of this. That's This is why, I, I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself, but this is why I'm going, was it comedy Me? or therapy? Because now you got the audience asking you questions and you're answering them. Up until you announced that you were gay, you were straight telling jokes. You're still telling jokes, but we're watching you struggle with this awkwardness. And it, it just here's what it felt like to me in that moment. And this is going to be a weird comparison. Uh, you remember what I don't know if you've ever seen this when Elvis Presley comes back after his hiatus or whatever. And then this fat Elvis. Uh, no, it's skinny Elvis, all leather all outfit on the round stage. With, that was that was the apex. That was that was the top of. Elvis, it is Elvisy. Sexy Elvis. That's oh, the top of Oh man, all black. Oh. But remember, he's on stage, he's in the round, and right. it's a concert, but it's not because they're in the round, they're taking right. questions, right. they're doing so. I'm saying this is a comedy show, but it's not. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Does that did, did that kind of because that was a concert, but it wasn't because it was there was other things going on that were making it feel different. Right. This those little out those little things from the outburst and him uh, outburst from the audience and him. I don't know how that worked. I don't. I, I mean, right. I saw how it worked. It worked great. I don't know how that worked live because we're not there. We don't know what the edits are. Right. We don't know if there was more people yelling things out and he had us. Does he? If people continue to talk over when he has something to say, would he have to? How would you? Yeah. How do you do that? But we don't know. I don't know what's not in the special. Right. So that's that. That that part is the part that was strange for me. But he handled it amazingly well. Yeah, um, I guess the most awkward part is when he said, he told his mother, and she said, I can't go against Jesus. And it made me ask this question, and and it's not, folks, trust me, we're not going to get off on a big religious thing here, but I'm, I'm just confused. Is there really seriously in the Bible a connection between God slash religion and homosexuality? Like, 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 I know, I know I see these, these knucklehead, stupid protesters on the street sometimes with these signs, God hates fags. I'm not talking about that. But is there really scripture in the Bible against homosexuality? It's something about man turning to man or something. I know that there's certain, certain scriptures, but there's other scriptures that debunk that. And here's the other thing that I think people have to, I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble. This, this, you always say you're going to get in trouble. No, because no, no, do. no, this is not going to trouble. This is going to be an awkward thing for me to say because I, I'm not a religious person. So I don't know if I, when I say this, it comes off uh, flippant. Mm. Uh, the Bible was, was written by man. Yeah. 
that's man's interpretation of whatever they're supposed to have been told in these these sacred scrolls that are passed down or or these stories that have been told and the bible is a selection picked by man there's other scrolls there's other writings that have were were there's more writings to the bible if but this is what was compacted and given to us so you know my, i had a, a comedian in arizona had a great uh, line about that the bible was basically a bad game of telephone where you start off by saying we're gonna have peanut butter sandwiches today for lunch and by the end of it it's going to be you're having sardines and tuna uh, casserole uh, for dinner, you know, because it's just what we repeat. So as as I read, as I read and interpret whatever I do, I always have a little, a little part of me in the back of my head that does explain to myself. Remember, this is written by man in a way that a man could, man could understand it. And when I say man, it was written by a man. Uh, there, there's no functionality here for women. At all, so mm-hmm. um, because it was written by a man, so we'll, right. we'll, we'll move on from that because I know we don't want to have a big biblical discussion. No, there. I just I because w- I was just going for a mother to hear her son say, "I'm gay," and he obviously loves his mother, and she obviously loves him, and you're supposed to support your children through anything. That's got to be strong for that to be her response. I can't go against Jesus. You know, it, it, and, and the reason I said what I said is because if you take the Bible and all that's in it, right. you're taking one or two verses right. in the whole thing to, to, to make that determination that you can't go against Jesus. Right. I, I find it very uh, difficult to uh, the way that things have been interpreted. I mean, I, 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 I don't have any answers, and I don't, uh, but I always try to read with the idea that the person who was writing to me, no matter what it is, whether I'm reading a textbook or I'm reading some, is their interpretation of life. Because as we sit in a room, me and you could be look outside and we could see the same thing happen and have two different ideas of what just happened. So that's right. how I interpret everything. Uh, I love when he said, uh, one of the other secrets about me is I'm not nice. My favorite part. That's my <sighs> favorite part of the whole thing. And I don't know if it was done purposely, but when he said it, and then they cut to a different angle of his head and his face. And he, and he, oh, let me say before I say that, he said, that's why I smile so much. I just smile so much. And then when they cut to that angle and he just turned that smile off, yeah. and the way he looked up at the camera, like, this is my, I'm not nice face. I almost got chills, man. Cause I went, wow. Like truth. Yeah. Truth. Like, like I'm, I'm not a nice dude. Like, like I'm a, I'm an asshole. And I went, wow. Because people think I'm an asshole and I'm really a nice guy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, when he said it, it not only... I, like I identified with that moment so much right. and I loved it the way that he said it because I love when he said, yeah, you know, we really, yeah, let, we really should go get dinner. Yeah. That's what you say when you're done. I would just want to be done with this conversation. <laughs> right. I want to move on. Yes, we will we'll go to dinner. Never, but we will go right. to dinner. And that right. to me, I understood that, that, that part so well. Uh, and to have it articulated the way he did, it was, it was fucking great. Yeah. Um, the thing about before we move on from yelling about the, about the audience because that because there is a scene and they leave it in there where the one woman yells out, "What was your name?" What was yeah? Your name? And he smiled because he said, uh, "I forget what the setup was." Before I think he said something to the extent of, 
I'm telling. Oh yeah, he said I'm telling you everything. Yeah. Which said, no, but what about your name? Yeah, and then yeah. he said, well, I think we're going to go back to the. Is that when he says we're going to go back to the not talking or something like the, something the, like that? Yeah, because and this is where as a comedian you want you you you're seeing the genius and what's going on, but the balance of that is that I believe, and I I don't know, I don't know him, and me, me and you talked about it, but if anything was set as far as the comedy set, the name was the end of the show. And let me tell you, wow, the way that fucking ended. Yeah. Oh, like he was done with his set and he acted like he was about to leave. And he goes, oh yeah, by the way, my name is Rothschild. Rothaniel. Rothaniel. <laughs> Beautiful. Like when, like when you look, go, I don't know what it, when you look at a Picasso, the Mona Lisa, or what they call it? The six, is it the sixteenth chapel or the sixteenth? Sixteenth. It's not. It's not a number. It's- Mike Tyson. What is it? It's the sixteenth. <laughs> um, when you look at any piece of artwork that's supposed to be a masterpiece, whatever that last stroke of the brush, whatever that last thing, put it. I put it in full context, and and that's its own artwork. But when a great chef makes a meal and then he just puts the finishing garnishes around the plates some shit you ain't gonna eat but it's the art of it that was the art that was the garnish the way he fucking ended that with oh yeah by the way what i didn't want to tell you but fuck it my my real name is boom name of the special and that's beautiful yeah man. but oh again if you had people shouting out and if it would have been listen if it would have been in comedy factory <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, I'm a real nigga. <laughs> I'm gay. I'm a real nigga. Man, go ahead with all that gay shit. Now you see how that would fuck that up? A beautiful, a beautiful moment of truthful, a guy's truth, a guy's the hard truth, artistically being shared. And you got, I'm a real nigga. You're shitting all over this great moment because you live in this fucking ignorant box. That's why I wouldn't. That's why when I go, dude, I'm not a fan. He doesn't make me laugh, but I get his genius. I love black people. I hate niggas. Chris Rock, I get his brilliance because I understand he's talking about that guy. Yeah, I, I didn't mean to bring you back over there. Um, also, because of the rawness of this, did you get the uh, metal chair on stage? Did that make sense with the the way? Because it could have been a comfortable chair. It could have been, if he was going to sit in it the whole time, he could have had, or even a stylish chair, like a, right. a 1950s, you know, modern, you know, mm-hmm. um, uh, whatever I'm trying to say, uh, whatever, modern, whatever. Uh, you could say flip it, but you can't say yeah, something dude, for a chair. Dude, I lose my, my brain just... Anyway, uh, but he could have had anything up there, but he chose that folding metal chair. And that to me said something about the whole spit. This is going to be break down to the, to the rawest piece. I could see where you're going with that. I don't know. I don't know that it was that deep, but uh, I could see where you're going with that. Um, something that makes me want to yell at my fucking manager. Uh, <laughs> and, and this is why I go, you know, having to deal with people in this business that aren't comedians, that don't go through what we go through, that don't do what we do and don't know it through experience bothers me because 
it almost feels like, and I know that's not where they're coming from. I know it's unintentional, but it feels like a disrespect when you so dismissively try not to understand because you don't experience it where you just go, well, I'm an agent or I'm a manager. I'm in the business. So you think, you know, but no, you don't. You have to, you have to do this. Like my manager once said to me, you know, when you do a special, you know, don't do crowd work because it, you know, it doesn't translate to people at home watching as the same. It does if you're there. So don't do crowd work. When you do a special, you know, you want to do a theater. You want to do, it's a special. And I said, listen, I hear you. And, and, I, and I, I hear what you're saying. Theater, it's supposed to be, it's a special. It's your special. It's your moment. It's supposed to be big and ah. And that's pretty and that's nice. Um, but you're wrong. At the end of the day, the product is funny. It ain't about the fucking stage or the theater or the lights or the background shit you got, the props or your setting. It's all You could have all of that, and if you stink, that's what they remember. They don't look at a special who a guy that stinks and goes, yeah, man, but did you see that street that they built behind them <laughs> with the steam coming out the ground? Who gives a fuck? And I'm sitting here, because I remember Sarah Silverman. She was one of the few comics who I saw do a special in a club. It was in a theater. It was a club. It was intimate. I've been wanting to do that for so long. Gerard Carmichael did it. When my manager said, don't do crowd work. Nigga, part of the funniest part of Elephant in the Room is when Patrice is fucking with the crowd. I don't know anybody that keep, that will sit home and watch that and go, I want to laugh at this, but he's doing crowd work, so I, and I'm not there, so I, I don't feel it. What? You're watching it. You're hearing it. And if it's funny, you feel it. So I just, sometimes I want to tell my manager, man, are you, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, okay. I'm going to say, I, I want to say two things. One, don't let this get away from me, but it's about you being nice. So let me make sure we bring this back to that. Um, they don't know fucking shit because they don't do it and they don't understand what the moment means. I, I don't care what anybody says. When th- th- I'm going to take you to a place that you didn't think I would even take this. Steve Martin. Mm-hmm. When uh, that wild and crazy guy, the one with the arrow. And yeah. It, he was a visual comic. People said, he's a visual comic. Don't do an album. You don't need to. Do, it's not going to. They didn't have like where they did the videos then, you know, where you could. Right. Don't. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't translate. His comedy doesn't translate. You got to see him. He's never going to. That was the top selling album. It was played on the radio. All his jokes were played on the radio. So what I'm trying to say is they haven't known for a long time what's going to work. And everybody has to prove what works when they are all against it because they know they don't know what's going to work. They know what has worked. There you go. And because of that, they all ride the fucking dick train and go, you got to do that. Why do I have to do that? It's already done. If you want a different view, if you want a picture of the Statue of Liberty, but you want a different view, you got to go somewhere else that no one's taken the picture before. You can't you can't stand on other people's area and think that you're going to see it different. And that's what artists are supposed to do is give you a different view. So I don't understand this, but I want to talk to you about your, 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 uh, not nice. Right. Here's the thing about you. You are very nice. You're an extremely nice person. You really, really are. You're genuinely nice. The two things are that I'll tell you is one, uh, you're remembered 
at your lowest moment is where you remembered. So there are moments when you are not nice, when you feel like you're getting fucked around, you're dicked around. The, the thing is you, and I'll, I'll give you this over niceness, you're honest. And when someone's fucking with you, you're honestly going to let them know how you feel about that. <laughs> and that's how you remember that that lowest moment. The other thing is I'm going to tell you is, and there's nothing wrong with this. And I think most successful people have this. You prioritize you first and you have to, because the only way successful people move through this is if they're not a priority, no one, you're, no one else is going to make you their priority. Nice people. The people that are really nice, the people think of as nice, they never seem to be the priority. They just move in a different way and they're nice and they're, but their lives don't have conflict. People that are successful, people that want to change things, people that want to show people things have conflict because you're running into other obstacles. So to me, your honesty is really what it is that gets you in that trouble. It's not that you're not nice. It's your honesty, but you have to be who you are. And honesty is, uh, I think should be commended, but people want to remember you at that moment. Um, you know, I always, I, I hear stories about you from 15 years ago, dude, <laughs> 15 fucking years ago. They'll tell me a story. He got mad at it. Yeah. 15 years ago, he got mad about something. Right. Oh, and you remember that 15 years <laughs> right, later. Right. Uh, you're honest, man. That uh, that's let me, let me tell you why this is funny to me uh, and to you people listening. Uh, you might have heard us read on uh, last week's emails. Uh, do recommend it for us to go to this restaurant called Poppy's Cuisine. So we go to the restaurant again. It's me, Andy, and my driver, Wendell. And it's kind of pricey place. You know when you see on the menu for an item, market price and not a number. Some expensive shit. So I had told Andy, look, I'm going to get this uh, seafood Alfredo, which is its own entree. But I also want these goddamn honey jerk lamb chops, lollipop lamb chops. So I'm, I'm only going to be here. I won't be here again until next year. So if I just get the seafood Alfredo, that means I got to wait a year to come back and go, let me taste these lollipop honey jerk lamb chops. So Andy orders his dish. I order my dish. And... Wendell is ordering his dish and I'm trying to get Wendell. So Wendell, you don't, what you getting? I'm going to do the crab cakes, Aries. I said, them lamb chops don't look good to you. He said, yeah, they do, but I, I, I'm, I'm not a big lamb chop guy and I really want to get these crab cakes. So I said, uh, well, Wendell, why, why don't you get the lamb chops and the crab cakes? They got a combination where you get them both. He goes, Aries, I'm going to be honest with you, man. I'm really not trying to uh, take advantage of this like this and have you uh, pay more than you need to. I said, oh, okay. I'll take a beat. And I go, well, let me tell you something about me, Wendell. And Andy doesn't even look up from his menu. He starts laughing and shaking his head. <laughs> Why? Because what he just said, I prioritized me. He knew what I was going to say before it came out. I said, well, Wendell, let me tell you something about me. I ain't really worried about the price. I want you to get the lamb chops so I can have them. <laughs> so when Andy says that, I'm going... Yeah, this nigga, yeah, he 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 knows me now. Like he he knows. Like it like Wendell's trying to look out for me, but Wendell, I'm looking out for you because that's looking out for me. Get the lamb chops, nigga. Even if you don't want them, because I want them. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, all that, I just wish that, you know, people when I hear these stories about you, honestly, Aries, they're like old fucking stories. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, but that's that's where people live, man. Um, 
Yeah, man. So listen, uh, if y'all haven't seen it, it is so worth the watch. And if you don't know who Gerard is, you should. Um, you should. Rothschild. Rothschild. I can't. Uh, Rothaniel. Rothaniel. Why am I saying Rothschild? Because that, that name already exists. And that's the funny part is that the name, uh, it doesn't give away any of the jokes that, that would ruin anything for you, but it's it's two names put together. So Okay, so Rothaniel Gerard Carmichael. Uh, great watch. Um, again, if you like jazz music at all, he's jazz comedy, man. Uh, and it's a different pace. It's a different vibe, but it's... Uh, it's great, man. It, it's great. Uh, like I said, I don't have any complaints. My only thing was I'm going, this is feeling like therapy, though. And if I, and if I wanted straight, I'm coming in here to laugh. Does it, do, does it give you that? See, That's my only critique. See, I think, and this is where me and you argue about this a lot of times. I think great comedy, yes, sitting in a room and laughing your ass off is great comedy. Mm-hmm. Taking something home and talking about it the next day mm-hmm. is even better comedy to me. Right. Because now you brought something home with you. You brought that, that to have that conversation about the comedy you saw. And this is why this is so great, because now two comics are sitting in a room talking about someone else's comedy. That's how uh, I say it's comedy beyond uh, the therapy. But yes, there is therapy. And good comedy should have you in some ideas. It shouldn't yeah. just leave you out there. Yeah. That's why, that's why if you're still listening, probababa. <laughs> When you tell us to just stick to comedy, fuck out of here, nigga. Great comedy is not just sticking to comedy. You know what I mean? It's being, like I said, insightful, informative, political, social issues. People coming out and tackling something as serious as being homosexual. If you just stuck to jokes, where's the the depth? Where's the growth? Where's the comedy for the intellects? You, I know what kind of comedy you like. What kind you? What's your speed? I'm from Mississippi. <laughs> Fuck out of here. Stick to comedy. <laughs> Should I tell the people where we're gonna be? Yeah. Uh, guys, you're listening to this. We're gonna be at. Uh, this is gonna. You're probably listening to this. Hopefully on the 20th of April. So that's when we're gonna be at uh, Skyline Comedy Club in Appleton, Wisconsin. That we're gonna be there the 21st through the 23rd. Uh, followed by the following week, uh, April 29th through May 1st, we're going to be at Summit City Comedy Club in Fort Wayne, Indiana. After that, I have to turn a couple pages because I'm going to forget. Uh, we'll be, oh, this be, this will be nice too. We'll be in uh, Pittsburgh Improv, which is actually, where is that Pittsburgh Improv? In yeah. Pittsburgh. I thought it was in Harrisburg or something like that. Oh, off. shit, it could be. I don't yeah. it's, I, I know it's not in Pittsburgh proper, but it's close. Uh it's May 6th, 7th, and 8th. We'll be at the Pittsburgh Improv. And then we'll be at, uh, you know what? I'm going to stop us right there, and uh, that'll catch you up. That gives you four dates. Come see us. Come uh, check us out if you're in any of those areas. It'd be great to have you out. When you come by, and I tell everybody this, mention that you listen to the podcast. We'd love to We'd love to meet the people that are uh, actually hearing us because when we send this out, we don't know who's listening to it. As a matter of fact, a young black woman uh, came up to us last night and was like, I listened to the podcast and I was really tickled because it was a woman. And she was so cute about how she, she was just so right. like her energy was right. amazing. Like I know, I know of course, and I don't have to say the names, uh, but I know the women that listen to us that we always shout out on the podcast, like our girl, a B. Uh, but it was, it was nice to see, Holy shit. A, a, a woman that 
we didn't know about. So that means that, yes, there are women out there that are listening. And I'm, and I'm hoping that episodes like the one we did with Kyla uh, about women and uh, the principles of pleasure uh, help are the seeds that help grow us out to being able to touch more women. <laughs> diddle, 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 diddle more women. You know, you got to plant the seeds and then when the roots grow, the roots are like the penis. As the roots grow, the penis grows. And when the penis grows, you can get inside the woman. Oh, boy. Hello, America. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, when, the, when, the, when you put the root inside the soil, a.k.a. the vajayjay, then you feel the secretions and the liquids and the juices all on your penis and then creates life. So the penis is the seed, the pussy is the soil, and sometimes when the soil doesn't want to let the root in, you got to bust it through it like a concrete, rose through the concrete. You got to bust through it. something more heinous but anyway uh bow is that what you water the soil to keep it wet that's to keep it wet it's the moisture it can't grow if it's dry you got to keep it wet you ever try to hock tui on the garden that's not enough when you shoot your juice all over her chest she's going what is that that's called the sprinkler system <laughs> all right um my IG, uh, the guy's name is Chase. My IG is ARBOT614. Uh, I don't know what this song is called. I think it's called Jade. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, you niggas. Boy. All right. Are we done? I, I think so. <laughs> I think we got fired. <laughs> you know, when a girl takes one of the pills and she says, Cosby, what are we doing next? And that's all she remembers. Lights out. listening to the Spears and Steinberg podcast. If you'd like to know who's responsible for this shit, well, it was hosted by Ari Spears and Andy Steinberg, produced by Steve Merrick and Anthony Holmes, executive producer, Big Papa, Robert Kelly, and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcast. For more information on where to find us on the internet, visit www.spearsbergpod.com.
shit for me. Don't you think you're being kind of hard on the guy? You go fuck yourself, convict!